created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, 
the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creation and creating that he had done. And this is the word of the Lord. I wonder if you can remember how you first heard about St. Columns and how it was described to you. How was St. Columns described to you? What did you think about St. Columns when you first heard about it? So imagine somebody is looking for a church to join and they walk in the door at the back there and they come up to you and they say to you, tell me all about your church. Now imagine if you said, well, we have some amazing bluestone and it was milled at this particular thing and then they got sand from a particular beach and it's an amazing beach and the mortar from that is super strong and then there was this amazing artist who put together the stained glass windows and we've been chipping away at those and repairing those for a long time and oh, you should hear our pipe organ. We've recently... Do you think that's what they're after? So imagine... Again, somebody comes to the church and they say, they're looking for a church to join and they say to you, tell me all about your church. And then you start giving them a historical account saying, well, this group of people were meeting at, at 
at uh, Christchurch in Hawthorne. They knew that they needed a church out here and so they came out here and it was up on the hill and, and you gave them the historical account. Do you think that's the account that they're looking for? So imagine a person comes to the church and they ask you, tell me about your church and you start describing the community that's gathered here, the types of activities that we do the reason why we do what we do, that's probably more likely the type of account that people are looking for. So one is a, a structure account, how the church is structured. Now, if, if you're like the, the organ historical society that are coming here in September to look at the organ, you probably want the structured account. If you're in the historical society, you possibly want to know the historical account, but if you're looking for the purpose of the church today, you don't want a structure account, you don't want a historical account, you want a purpose account. And what we see in Genesis is actually a purpose account. It's giving us the purpose. Now, one of the biggest critiques that the Bible gets in our postmodern society is that modern thinkers that the Bible is full of inaccuracies in terms of science and history as we understand it today. You see, unlike the historical and the, the purpose account, the only story that people allow in 2022 about creation is the scientific understanding of creation. So everybody who only allows a scientific understanding of creation reads the Bible, both John's Gospel and, and Genesis 1, and say, see, there's all the problems. There's all this stuff missing. It doesn't mention the dinosaurs. We love Jurassic Park. Where's the dinosaurs? And so Old Testament scholar, uh, Dr. Sandy Richer, suggests we need to leave the dinosaurs to the biologists because the authors of the Old Testament, we have to be very clear, the authors of the Old Testament had no knowledge of the dinosaurs. Archaeology in the 60s, 70s and 80s discovered things that they had no knowledge of. So they're not trying to give a scientific account of things that they didn't have any knowledge of. We have to understand the book of Genesis like we're an ancient Israelite. We have to understand that the book of Genesis is an origin story about the origin of the world, trying to give us an understanding of its purpose. It's not trying to give us a history lesson. It's not trying to give us a scientific lesson. It's trying to teach us the purpose of creation. And when we understand that, we'll understand Genesis a whole lot better. And so the book of Genesis if we understand it like an ancient Israelite, is trying to say who formed the world. The greatest question in ancient Middle Eastern culture was not what's the science about how the world created or not what the history was, but what's the purpose of creation. Every ancient culture in that area, from Egypt to Babylon, had an origin story about who created the world. 
the most important question was not, tell me about the science or tell me about the elements. The most important question, irrespective of what you believed about the elements, the most important question in ancient culture was, who, who controlled all the raw materials? Who controlled all the raw materials was a far more important question than the raw material discussion. And so, every culture had an origin story about who controlled the raw materials. And therefore, the ancient Israelites needed to have an origin story about who controlled the raw materials. And therefore, the ancient people didn't so much worry about the raw materials, but the powerful force behind it. And the ancient Israelites had a narrative that told them who was in control. The origin story of the ancient Israelites said that God was in control. The original language, and I know we don't always geek out on the original language, and I'm going to far more educated scholars for this than me, this is not my own research. A lot of people have done a lot of digging on this. But the original language for what we hear in Genesis as create is the word, the Hebrew word, bara. And this word actually has an element of creating or forming or taking raw materials and pulling it together, but it's a term that's given to deity. Later in the Old Testament, when humans create things, it's a totally different ancient Hebrew word. The word that we translate create is probably more akin to what an artist does. I don't know whether you've been to the Camberwell Art Show, but when we say all of those artists that are exhibiting in the art show created those artworks, I don't think any of us thought that they got the raw ingredients and created the paint themselves, and then got the horse bristles and created the paintbrushes themselves, and stretched the canvas out and made the canvas themselves. We know that they take all the raw ingredients and they put it together and when they put it together, they have the power to name that and they have the power to name that as an artwork. I heard an interview with Jimmy Barnes recently and he talked about the 30th anniversary of an album that he created. All of the songs on the album, he didn't actually write. They're all songs that influenced him and his band but we know, don't we, when Jimmy Barnes created that album or any musician created that album, they don't make the, in, the instruments themselves. Some of them don't even write the songs themselves. But when they put it together and they take the raw materials and they construct it all together and they call it a song, they say that they created that song. The word create is almost taking the raw materials and putting it all together. Because in Genesis 1, we read a very, very important idea, that when someone takes the raw materials in ancient, uh, ancient Middle Eastern culture, whoever takes those raw materials and puts it all together, they're the most important person, or the most important, important God, but also the power to name things is an important power. So the fact that God could name things is most important in this account. And so we have this powerful idea 
that God gets to name what he created. And so we have this rhythm to the passage, don't we? We have this rhythm in Genesis 1. We, we see raw ingredients. Then God forms those raw ingredients into something and God names it. Then God sees that it was good and that's the end of the day. So, for example, in verse 14 to 19, God creates time. We don't read the word time in there, but that's what it was. Before all things, there was nothing but God and the raw ingredients. And so God takes these raw ingredients of light and darkness and forms them together to create day and night. And then God names it as the marker of time. It says in the scriptures here that he marks it as the day the seasons and the year. That's what we know as time. God creates time and God sees that time is good and that's the end of the fourth day. This gives us the theological principle that Genesis is aiming at, which is that this origin story, God sits above creation. God is not part of creation. And because God's not part of creation, God has power over creation. And because God has power over creation, God can name creation. And in ancient Middle Eastern culture, that's the most important thing. And that's the story that Genesis is trying to teach us. Whoever has power over the raw elements and gives them purpose has the true power. And as all these cultures around the ancient Israelites are saying, well, this is our story of how it happened. This is our story of how it happened. This is our story of it happened. You can just imagine the little ancient Israelites saying, mommy and daddy, what's our story of who has the power? And they say, well, let me tell you this story. And they start reading out Genesis 1. The function of Genesis 1 is to show that God, the creator, gives creation purpose. So God also gives humanity purpose. Part of the Genesis 1 account is to explain the purpose and the place of humanity. The origin story teaches us and it teaches the original audience that God created the world with order and purpose. That in the seven days that we read, it's actually not trying to give us a scientific account. It's not the answer that the ancient Israelites are looking for. It's trying to explain to us the order and that in this passage which has this order and this rhythm, it shows us that God creates each element in its purpose. God creates each element in its order. And so on day one, God creates order out of all the chaos all the formless void, as it says in, in the Scriptures. God takes that and gives it purpose. On day two, God creates the earth out of all the raw materials, which is water and land. Now, we might know the periodic table, but the ancient Israelites didn't know the periodic table as we understand it. And on day three, God takes all of this and brings land to create vegetation and the seasons. On day four, God creates time to mark those seasons. On day five, God creates the wild animals of the sea 
and of the air. On day six, God creates the wild animals of the land, but also creates the animals to produce for livestock. And on day six, God creates humanity to steward, to rule, to govern creation. But notice that humanity is part of creation itself. And one of the big distinctions between many other ancient Middle Eastern uh, origin stories is that you see this, these stories of uh, people sort of calling forth and creating gods and that those gods are part of the creation and they create other gods. All of this creation creates itself. We have a narrative, yes, where we're part of creation, but God sits above creation and therefore God has power over creation. And so, this simple verse in verse 27, where it says, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So, it gives us two theological images that are really important for us to hold on to. The first is that God created humanity in the image that God wanted the the, the humanity to be created in. Humanity is not some kind of accident. Humanity is not some kind of uh, uh, force of nature or some kind of result of some kind of morphing of creation itself. The theological image that is taught to us in Genesis 1 is that God created humanity to be different from all other living creatures. This means that Christians can view humanity as distinct and different to all other created living things on earth. That's why, from our Christian perspective, we place a value on human life before all other created things. We don't need to go far to see this. We, we had bacon, some of us might have had bacon for breakfast. It shows us that we value human life above the life of other animals. There's a theological principle there. And there are some people in our society, and we need to be careful of the ideologies influencing society because there are some people in society that are wiping away that theological principle that humanity has a distinct place separate to all other living creatures. We are a living creature, but God places us as distinct and different to all other living creatures. And here's another second principle that we know here from Genesis chapter 1. that It says here that God created man, male and female. From the very beginning, male and female are equal and distinct under God. So, we notice that so many Christians jump straight over Genesis 1 to go straight to Genesis 2 to say, well, men are better than women because we'll leave Genesis 2 to next week because we've got some teaching on that which maybe might clarify that a little bit more. But in Genesis 1, there is no men are better than women. It's an old language that maybe we don't quite understand in 2022 where we've changed the way that we use language but it's very important for us to understand that if we were writing this text today, we would say God created humanity 
male and female, God created humanity. God, from the very beginning, creates men and women. And in Genesis 1, we get the idea that these men are living creatures male and living creatures female. And that's a very important theological point for us to understand. Both theological points that God sets humanity apart and different from the rest of the living creatures and that male and female were there from the very beginning are very important theological points for us to understand. Now, I want to just give a little side note because I know that there are a a huge range of Christian perspectives on this. So, I just want to give a side note. Theologically, it is totally possible that in an instant, God could create everything in the heavens and the earth. It's theologically totally possible that God could do that. God could do anything theologically. So, theologically, I don't have a problem with a seven-day literal account of creation. Theologically, it's possible. But I don't think that's what Genesis 1 is trying to say. So, I know there are some Christians who say, and they read the Genesis 1 account and say, that's both a, a, a scientific and a historical and a purpose statement that it literally happened in seven 24-hour days. The only problem with that is that when the ancient Israelites wrote that, there wasn't the invention of the seven-day, 24-hour day as we know it today. The other slight thing is that there seems to be some things in the Old Testament that we know now are factually incorrect and God revealed the books of the Bible to the authors and God didn't choose to reveal the origin story as we would understand it today. When God revealed the origin story of Genesis 1 to the original author, He wasn't trying to answer the questions that we have in 2022. So, we have to park it there. Now, this is my laptop. This is also a MacBook Air. If you want to know what its purpose is, well, its purpose is for me to do my work. But if you're a real geek and you want to understand the structure of it, then I'm going to tell you a very different story. I'm not going to tell you about how I use it for writing sermons or or researching the Bible, because you just want to know whether it's an Intel chip or it's an M1 chip. You want to know the structure of it. And there are times we need to understand the structure. And something like ISCAST, which is a, a, a Christian group of scientists, they're trying to help us understand the science of things. Science and purpose statements of creation are not in competition, they're just trying to ask different things. And so, we need to understand how those things differ. But we have a need for origin stories. If we look at our world today, there are lots of debates about climate change. I don't know how you see it, but as far as I see it, I I think actually from a science point of view, I think the science is pretty clear. I think the scientists have measured the number of floods that are happening and realise it's changing. They've measured the average temperatures and seen that it's changing. They've measured the level of CO2 and seen that it's changing. The science is pretty clear that the the climate is actually changing. But why isn't human behaviour changing to do something about it? It's because science 
can't influence human behaviour. I think actually our world is crying out for an origin story around purpose. Our world is actually crying out for a narrative that helps us understand more about our role and purpose in the world and therefore how we might listen to the science and then respond and change our behaviour. We don't need more science and I think that's what we see, is there's a politicalisation of the science to disguise some of the ideologies that are underpinning it. I think science, in a way, has failed us because it doesn't change human behaviour. And climate action needs ideas that shape human behaviour. So as much as we might think Christianity is not as popular as it once was, or we might think, you know, people don't want to hear the answers that Christians give to key questions of life, I think if we scratch the surface of people in our society, they're actually wanting an origin story that gives purpose and meaning to the world and we have a great origin story about a God who sits above creation, a God who created us as distinct and different to all other living purposes of the earth. And therefore, we are called to steward that and care for that. We've been given one of the greatest roles ever, which is to look after the world that God created. That's such an amazing role for us to have. And our society is scrambling to work out the science question and we have an origin story that gives us purpose. So perhaps... Instead of Christians retreating into a Christian bubble, we actually need to be offering hope to the world. Instead of Christians living in fear of not having the climate change answers because, you know, the Bible doesn't give us science and everyone wants to understand science, we can understand that we're in a world of competing ideologies and we have the best news ever, that the world's not chaos, but the world was created with purpose. And the world was given to humanity to care for all living creatures. So let us be the humanity that cares and steward for this world. And let us steward this earth well.